Welcome to another episode of the Her Story Speaks podcast. I'm your host, Andrea. My guest today is a woman who is such a joy and light in this world, and I'm so grateful to have had the chance to connect with her. Kayla Craig is a former journalist, turned speaker, podcast host, and now a published author who is adamant about paying attention and embracing curiosity in her work. In our conversation today, Kayla and I talk about our newest book, To Light Their Way, a collection of prayers and liturgies for parents, and Kayla's story that led her to write the book. I'll admit, this conversation and Kayla's book was one I was a little bit hesitant about. I was looking forward to talking to Kayla, but given my evolution of faith over the last couple of years, I really wasn't sure what to expect with the book. I have wrestled with prayer over the last year especially, and what it even means and the point of it. But Kayla's book and our conversation gave me fresh eyes and a more open heart to what prayer actually means and why we do it. Kayla shares about hard chapters in her own story where she couldn't pray and she questioned if prayer even, quote, worked. But we dive in deeper to that and how our view of prayer has changed and evolved over the years. Kayla also shares about her family's adoption journey and how being a mom of a severely disabled daughter and how transracial adoption has changed how Kayla shows up in the world. So grab a cup of coffee and join us as we dive in a little deeper and talk about the subject of prayer. I hope this conversation breathes new life into your soul like it did mine. Let's get started, yeah. Kayla. We are recording and we're we need to <laughs> need to focus here. Kayla, Craig, welcome to the Her Story Speaks podcast. I am so thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for fitting me in and inviting oh. me on. Well, it's definitely not a fit in. I am forward <laughs> forward to talking to you. Oh, um, I followed you. you for just a little bit, but I know it's our mutual fit, friend, um, Patricia Taylor, Patty, that yes. connected us. And she's told me so much about you. So I'm just so thrilled to get to actually meet, see your face and talk to you today. I am so looking forward to this. Let's yes. go. <laughs> okay. Yes, we had to, we were talking just a little bit too long. So we're refocusing and we're going to focus on podcasts, recording yes. and all the things with you. I mean, it's, you're at a really exciting time in your life. You yourself are a podcast host, speaker, mom, and now an author of a book called To Light Their Way, a collection of prayers and liturgies for parents. And so I'm excited to talk about that today and your story and what led to creating this book. And I said you're a first-time author, but I listened to a podcast yesterday that you recorded five years ago that you actually have another <laughs> book. So yeah. I will correct myself with saying well, that. This is my first kind of grown-up, traditionally published book. So okay. um, yeah, five years back, I six years, I don't even know. I, I wrote a children's book with a nonprofit out of my own need and my family's own need for a book that kind of represented our family and the conversations I was having with um, my son who was adopted. And so that's where that book came to be. But To Light Their Way is kind of my first book for grownups in the, in the traditional sphere that's not, you know, kind of like partnering with a 
a smaller entity. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Well, thank you. Thank you for clarifying, but I was like, wow, she is a two time yeah. author now. So. <laughs> and your book is doing amazing this first launch week. And oh, we'll talk about you. at the end where folks can get it because it is selling out. It's just doing incredible. So congratulations with that. Thank you. Thank so you. tell me, Kayla, you are a mom. Tell me just your day to day. We're not going to go into your, all the details of your story, but just a day to day, where do you live? Who do you live with? And what do you do when you're not writing a book? Yes. Well, my, my background is in journalism and I have written, you know, ever since, you know, through college graduating, that's been kind of my whole life. So I'm always processing through words. Uh, even when I'm not, you know, working on a book, it's just, I'm a word person. I'm a verbal processor. And I get to do that with my four kids who are between the ages of five and 11. And they have joined us through, um, either me giving birth to them or through adoption and different journeys of us kind of coming together. Uh, my husband and I recently recently moved our family to our hometown in Iowa. And um, there's a lot of intentional reasons why we did that, not only to be closer to family, but to move into a more racially and economically diverse um, neighborhood. And I get to live in what I kind of consider my dream house. It's this big, beautiful, old brick home that in its former life, um, was housed the sisters of mercy. Um, it was a convent and it is in this just eclectic, tiny neighborhood full of all sorts of different people. We love our neighbors so much. We've already gotten to know them so much more than what we did when we lived in the suburbs. Um, so it, it is truly a gift to kind of have that physical place to, um, put down roots and stay rooted in. And so that's what life looks like for us right now. Life is very digital. It's very virtual which is hard as an extrovert mm -hmm. like myself. Um, but my kids are still doing virtual school because of um, some of my kids have medical needs and compromised immune systems. And so we are very, very excited to um, look forward to the day when they can all go back to school and life can, can be um, a little bit more quote unquote, quote, normal. Right. <laughs> um but it, it, that has been very interesting, but there have also been, you know, glimmers of light shining up through that too. So that's kind of so, what day-to-day -day looks like. Yeah. For us. So, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, you, all you have to, you can stop at your homeschooling for children because yeah. <laughs> I don't know how you have time for anything else. So <laughs> that is incredible. And you just exuberate like this joy, like just watching oh. different interviews and hearing you. I'm like, she has so much joy. Is she for real that she has four children and can, so, <laughs> but it's like digging into more of your story. Like it's not just been some easy, like every life oh. is great. And no, you're very, no. you're very real about that. And, um, I'm, ima I imagine these prayers were somewhat therapy for you too, that you're sharing oh, 100 others. And yes. so we'll talk about how you got there um, yeah. and how you got went down that adoption journey. But before mm -hmm. we do, I, I, a lot of times I like to have guests just start back in their childhood and we don't have to go mm -hmm. a long time with this, but I just always yeah. think it's kind of interesting knowing, oh, their, their origin stories and where you're, was your raised in a family of faith and where, mm -hmm. so just take me back a little bit to your childhood and let me tell me, give us a glimpse into that. 
love that you asked this question because this is a question that is not often asked. You know, we just jump right in and go forward. But I love right. who we are going forward is shaped right. by who we were in our past and and our families of origins. And how can we take care of our own inner child without thinking about our own like literal right. childhood? So I grew up, I did not grow up evangelical. I did not grow up fundamentalist. And I think that has been a gift because I don't have a lot of the baggage that so many of my loved ones and friends who had some of those experiences in their formative years did, you know? And so while I sometimes wish that I did have a more robust spiritual upbringing, I also feel grateful that I didn't put, have to experience some of those burdens, um, and have to do some of that unlearning. And we're all, you know, learning, having those moments of unlearning and reorienting ourselves and and growing. But, um, I grew up in, uh, a two parent home and they, um, we did go to church in like kind of in and out different times of our lives. Um, I, my parents did a great job of always showing up for me and always being present. And they gave me the gift of, of presence. And now I look back and I'm like, Oh my gosh, when that happened, my mom was younger than I am now. And like, that was such a experience and empathy as I was writing this book, how much compassion I felt for my parents, because all of a sudden I wasn't seeing the story play out from my own perspective. I was seeing like, wow, they lost that parent at that age. And how much Mm -hmm. did that shape how they experienced the world and how they parented me? Oh my word. And so I look back with, um, a lot of, of gratitude for, um, just the ways that they showed me love. Um, yeah. I and really- I think once we get out of our childhood and become moms ourselves, we look yes. at our parents, our moms, especially in a whole new light of like, oh, oh my gosh, I was so hard on her, but this is what she was dealing with. Right. <laughs> yes. Wow. Yes. And I read in your book, you said you have a Baptist grandmother who married a Catholic, who raised a Lutheran daughter, who married a Methodist, who raised you Presbyterian, and then you married a Baptist pastor. And I love yes. that because I'm like, Okay. It's messy. She doesn't have this like clean. I was raised in this perfect Christian home. It's still a messy faith and bring all those things and beliefs together. And now you and your husband are figuring out how to, how to raise your own kids in that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious. Um, I wasn't going to ask this, but as you were talking and knowing that you wrote a book on prayer, do you have a very early memory of of prayer or one of your Mm. first, like really, gosh, that is what prayer is or what your ritual that your mom used to do with you. I remember that my mom grabbed like a sheet of just plain white paper, grabbed a crayon and wrote out the Lord's prayer for Mm. me. And I remember that. And I had to be very young. And I just Mm -hmm. remember, you know, that was something that she could pass on to me. Like, if you don't know what to pray, this is a prayer that Jesus Mm. prayed and you can pray it too. And I like, I mean, I kind of get goosebumps thinking about that because what a gift that maybe felt so simple, but is really profound. And then I remember as a kid, I would pray the same prayer every night, you know, Mm -hmm. this like, 
kind of now I lay me down to sleep. And I, it almost was like, I was an anxious child and it almost felt like I had to pray this or maybe God wouldn't see me or let me. And it was like, I don't even know where I got that idea. That was not something that was given to me, but it was just something like I, I dealt with a lot of anxiety and worry, but I remember at the end of every prayer, I would also say, God, please help the kids that don't have homes and have disabilities. And I would pray that every night. And it was only recent. Yes. And I don't even know where that came from, but as an adult, I just had this light bulb moment of remembering that was something I prayed every night. Mm -hmm. And now I look at my family and I'm like, did God somehow use use us to somehow be a small answer to that prayer. I didn't even make that connection, you know, until until very recently. Well, that's very powerful. And I mean, yes, he absolutely did. I love Mm. all parts of that answer. I mean, your mom sharing that prayer is so much like what you've done with your book. Mm. It's shared these these prayers with people for people, other moms, parents that don't know what to pray. And that's what your mom did for you. Yeah. And as you're sharing the prayer, um, that you prayed as a child before bed, the same one every night that just, that helps my soul and spirit. Cause I think I shared with you, I'm in a weird, I am in a stage of yeah. a faith journey of deconstruction, Absolutely. reconstruction, which I have a 12 year old that I struggle with the whole prayer thing. And like, do we just sure. doing the same thing? But it's, I'm yeah. reminded again with that, like prayer. And I want to talk about this later. Like prayer is not again, this genie in the bottle, it is like, that was Mm -hmm. quieting your heart and soul and easing your anxiety. And that was just such an example of you saying, I repeated this prayer every night. And that's sometimes that we have to remember that going through those routines with our kids, it's not a wasted effort, even if it's Mm. repeating the same prayer and it might be for for them to calm their heart and soul. So thank you for that. That was, oh yeah. hmm. Thank you for that thoughtful question. Yeah. So let's I want to, okay, where do I want to go with this? I want to talk about a little bit of your adoption journey because with that, we get to kind of how your thoughts of prayer changed and the role of prayer in your life. So Mm. you shared with us, you have four children. Yeah. You have a bit in your book talking about your like, I don't know, you have a not, you have two infants and like a preschooler (laughs) and a kindergartner. And I was stressed (laughs) out for you. So (laughs) you get married, you're married to a pastor and then you have four children. Is adoption something you always felt? I know you said, you know, that prayer you had as a child, but yeah, it was something that, I mean, we were not planning. It wasn't like Uh this like big thing. It just was honestly weird. Like I started having dreams about it. We were, we got married very young. My husband started having dreams about it. We started like hearing things on the radio and it was so unexpected. Um, and we were both like driving together. We're driving home late at night. And my husband just looked at me, turned on the radio. And it, in that moment, I knew what he's going to say. I was like, wait, wow. I know what you're going to say. Have you ever thought about adopting? Which is totally like out of the blue. Right. And, and, and I, I don't even, I don't understand it and I don't have the words to it and I don't want to over spiritualize it. But at the same time, it felt like a holy moment in our lives and our lives together. And then I was a a newspaper journalist and one of my beats was covering the business section. And I would go to a lot of networking events and it was there that I overheard this man talking about how he 
inherited his childhood home in Nigeria as the firstborn son when his father died. And he knew that there was a lot of corruption. And so it was important to him to turn that space into a, a warm and welcoming home for children that had nowhere else to go. Um, and sometimes the house, um, he turned it into something he calls cornerstone of hope. And sometimes it just houses kids so their parents can get on their feet. Um, and then sometimes, unfortunately, their biological family are not able to care for them for a variety of, you know, traumatic and, and awful and heartbreaking reasons for everybody. Um, and then, so I just kind of like offhandedly was like, my husband and I have randomly been thinking about mm -hmm. adoption. Um, and it was just, it's so odd, so bizarre, not like a normal path in any way. Right, right. Um, but a very, very long story cut very, very short is that that is how our son Joseph joined our family when he was a year old. Okay. Um, and Joseph is your first child then. Yep. Yep. Right, okay. And then that kind of just broadened our heart and broadened our view of family just across bloodlines, yes. um, opened our eyes to a much bigger world, opened us up to see um, injustice and racism and um, structural racism, all of that. It was like, we have to pay attention now. Like, like whatever we weren't awake to, like that time is over. And right. like, we need to show up not only for our, our son, but for kids everywhere. Um, and so then we have, we have two biological children. And when I was um, four months pregnant with my son, Asher, we had just kind of, we didn't want to like kind of go a traditional path. We just wanted to be open and available if a need ar arose. So we had our home study done and had gone through all of that and felt particularly that we would be open to a child that had more needs. Um, and then we found out about a little girl who is three weeks old, mm -hmm. um, in Florida and she had down syndrome and she was placed in this kind of cradle care situation, um, where the parents that were going to adopt her through traditional, uh, means when they found out about her diagnosis at birth walked away and we thought lucky us, like what a gift mm -hmm. to get to, um, get to be her mom and dad. And that is how our family came to be. And it, it has, opened my life to so much, so much more beauty, so many more invitations to stand with so many people, whether they're disabled, whether, you know, they're in the BIPOC community to, to listen to them, um, not to be a voice for the voiceless. I know you hate that phrase too, but to truly like listen and then amplify and use my privilege right. as, um, as a, as a white woman and, and all of the ways that I, um, am privileged to do so to, to amplify, to advocate, um, in very, very real ways in our lived lives. And that's what I was going to ask you of how having a transracial adoption and a child with disability. I mean, you have two black children, one has severe disabilities, how that's changed you, but that, that answers it. Yeah. I mean, it does just open your eyes. Although I haven't adopted, we fostered and both mm -hmm. um, we're black 
little girls. And it's like that opened your eyes and to things you were not aware of. Were you aware of all the injustice, white privilege, all of that before having your own children? No. And, and, you know, like we became parents so young, I didn't know so much about the world, even though I tried, even though I tried to read books, I, I studied sociology. I took college level classes about, you know, structural Mm -hmm. racism and identity and the history of the United States. And I'm still learning. Like, this is not just like a, you, you make it and then you can sit back and kick your feet up, but it is like a constant invitation to learn and to unlearn and to relearn. And so, um, I do want to like encourage people that are listening right now. Like maybe they feel like I'm so far gone. I, I am too entrenched in, you know, what I grew up believing, how can I even begin to start to unpack that? Like it is never too late. It is never too early. Like the conversations that you have on this podcast are such an invitation into that, right. Right. To unlearn and, and to learn again and afresh what it is to, um, enter into these conversations of, of loving our actual neighbor. Absolutely. And I'm guessing that had to deepen your faith also with how your family grew and expanded. Um, do you want to share a little bit of that? Yeah. Um, my doubt and my wrestling and the mystery of God, like, how could you let this happen? Why, why does, why do we even have to have adoption? Like, this is not, this is, this is so heartbreaking, you know, that my child had to go through this, that their biological family had to go through this. Why did, you know, those like deep wrestlings of faith. There's so many times that I pray, like, I believe help me in my unbelief. Like there's so many times that I don't pray any words at all, which is why I have needed the the words of another. Um, but it's also shown me that there is a great mystery and it's brought in my view of who God is, you know, it's, it's, it's bigger. God is bigger. God is in all things. Like I really, I really believe that. And even in those deep moments where I doubt a lot and still have that. I think sometimes we think, well, we've gone through the season of doubt or the season of wrestling, and now we've made it to the mountaintop. But I don't think, at least for me, my life is messy and it's not just a one and done type of thing, but it is a constant wrestling and, and crying out to God and being angry and getting to be angry in my prayers and believing that somehow I believe there's a maker of all things that is sitting with me in this and sitting with my child in this. And this is not so much of this is not God's plan for, for the world. So I'm glad you said that because, you know, going back at the beginning, when you said I wasn't raised in this like fundamentalist home, so I don't have like this church trauma or that, but I think our faith still evolves with life. Oh, When when trauma enters our life, even if it's not church trauma, when we see the trauma of children and the adoption that is born out of this trauma, I mean, if you're not questioning, I don't think you're paying attention. It's just, um, so I'm glad that you said that you still have this wrestling. Oh yeah. Just cause I don't have that one particular baggage. I mean, I still, yeah, exactly. I'm still awake trying to be awake to what's happening in the world. And there's so much that I don't understand. And right. You know, honestly, we have to be okay and comfortable in the mystery of knowing we never will. 
And I think that's the part, that's what we're getting to. I mean, that whole reconstruction, I mean, I think that's such a significant part because the older we get, the more God is not fitting in this box. We have yes. to accept, accept that, that he's just, he, she, they are right. just not, they are mysterious and huge and we're not going to get our mind around it and figure it yeah. out. Yeah. So that takes me to the whole prayer thing, because that is something that's hard to get our mind around. And I know you share in this book and if people have the book or getting it, I really encourage everyone to read the chapters in between where you share your heart of different life stories and what got you. And one is you share about um, three years old. Your daughter has a horrible respiratory infection. She's in the hospital and she has major disabilities. So this is a huge, huge thing like life or death. And I'm going to read just a little bit from your book. You say, all I could do is sit under the fluorescent lights and wait. I wanted to pray, but had not one ounce of energy to muster anything. And honestly, I wanted to yell at God. My heart raced, my face flushed. How could he let his precious child hang in the thin space between heaven and earth? And then you go on to talk about that you're married to a frat pastor and you couldn't pray. You've been a Christian for 30 years and you couldn't pray. And then you're also questioning the people that say they're praying for you. You're saying, well, I guess your prayers don't work. So you are at a very low point with prayer. Yeah. Do you want to share a little bit of that experience? Because I'm so curious, how do you get from there to now I'm writing a book about prayer? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so talk a little bit about that, Kayla. Yeah. Well, I was in that, you know, very thin space with my daughter and so much was just me sitting there in the silence with the, the only thing was like the music of the beeps and the buzzes. And like, I couldn't even like take my hand and push her curls out of her face without her whole body, like going off the charts with all the different numbers. Like it was so, I can't even like tell you how serious it was like watching your child code, watching the doctors and the nurses and like the, the paramedics from life flight run in. Um, it was so hard. And like, I know that so many people have gone through moments that are not specifically that, but very, you know, just those moments where you feel like almost out of body, like what is even happening? And my husband and I coordinated time in and out of the hospital because we have three other kids and we wanted to keep things as, as normal for them as possible. So we also wanted somebody to be in the hospital at all times because it was such a precarious and, and serious situation. So there was one night where we had traded and um, my husband was at the hospital with my daughter and I was at home with my three sons catching up on all this mail that like showed up at our doorstep. And as you know, I'm also a podcaster uh, and we were getting ready to interview some potential authors on Upside Down Podcasts. And it was um, Justin McRoberts and Scott Erickson, Scott the Painter had a book about prayer. And this book was not like anything I had ever experienced of prayer to be. And they were just these very short, nuanced prayers with art. And it just felt like, here's something I can hold on to. Even in all of this, I, I believe that there are others that have gone through pain and have, and have lived through it that have lived through the worst unspeakable nightmarish moments of their lives. And yet still somehow are showing up and still somehow have glimmers of light and of joy in their life and still somehow believe that God is good, even in, even if, and so 
I brought that book back to the hospital with me and felt like those prayers of another kept me afloat because it's not like I didn't want to pray. And all of these people were saying, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for her, but I couldn't come up with any words. And so to hold on to the words of another kept me, kept me anchored, kept me afloat, whatever, you know, metaphor you want to use. And that is when, you know, fast forward, um, my daughter is still with us. There still are so many prayers that have been left hanging in that balance. You know, it's not like, and then everything was great. You know what I mean? Like there's still a lot of, of grief and a lot of lament, um, for the different things that she has to go through. Right. But I was, I was up late trying to think, you know, having one of those like anxious parenting moments up late at night, thinking about my four kids and, you know, the different things we had all been experiencing, the different struggles that they each individually faced, you know, like as a parent, you see that your kids, whether or not they were adopted or biological are so different. Their personalities Mm -hmm. are so different. The way they view the world and see the world and show up in the world are so different. And I just thought, God, I don't have any words for this. All I can think of is that they would love you and love their neighbor as an outpouring of how much they love themselves. Like that's the tweet, right? Like that's Mm -hmm, it. mm -hmm. And I just had this moment because I am a writer and I process my life through words. I grabbed my notes app on my phone and just started like thinking maybe the words of another would help other parents Mm -hmm. through all of these other different kind of stages, situations, milestones, griefs, whatever it is. And so I just started listing, you know, typing with my thumbs, listing all of these different things on my phone. And it was around that time that I had been contacted, um, by a couple different people in the publishing world that was just like, Hey, you've been writing for a long time. Have you ever thought of writing a book? And I'm like, well, this is weird because I just kind of (laughs) felt that this might be a need that more than just I feel. And that's kind of how it came to be. So how long after that was that when your daughter was in the hospital to fast forward, when you got the call and you're writing these prayers on your phone? That was probably, I mean, just a, just a year, a year. That's amazing. Yeah. So during that time, I mean, obviously your definition, your thoughts about prayer had to evolve from during that period, because you went from like, I can't even pray. Prayer doesn't work to, Mm -hmm. to writing this book. So tell me just about your evolution of what prayer is. I mean, I think part of that is, I was thinking earlier when you said prayer doesn't work, what Mm -hmm. does work mean? Because that word work, does that mean God just answers everything or does that mean something else? So tell me your evolution of what prayer is and means. I think that I used to think of prayer as this kind of like, if then cause and effect type of idea. And now Mm -hmm. I think of prayer as entering into a conversation that the divine is already having with us all the time. I think that prayer transforms us. It's not about like ticking off any sort of list or like this big request, but it's more like of a internal transformation that then somehow pours out into our physical embodied realities. And so I think that I have learned, you know, as somebody who is so verbal, that prayer is a lot of listening. 
And it's a mm-hmm. lot of being still, even when that stillness makes you like itchy and uncomfortable. Um, and so I think that prayer is a lot of that. Prayer is also a lot of showing up and changing my daughter's diapers. That in and of itself is a prayer. Going on a walk is a prayer. Teaching a child how to drive is a lot of prayers, mm-hmm. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? Um, so I think just my view of prayer has grown and grown and become more mysterious, more expansive and just more whole. Yeah. And I think listening to you talk and thinking about my own experience and others that I know are listening that are in that phase of deconstruction, reconstruction, I think that the prayer element is such a huge part because I think if you raised in a very fundamental evangelical home, prayer was it's for me very different. Um, it's like pray for a parking spot, pray he'll get healed. We, you know, and then it's like, but what if that doesn't happen? You know, and right. And I think it's my own daughters and some hard life things that have really made me question. You know, with when my dad died last year, why didn't God answer the prayer in the hospital? Why didn't yeah. he live? You know, and when your yeah. daughter went home, but so many others didn't, or so many yes. people are praying for their loved ones that have COVID, and some are going home, but we know a whole lot more are dying. You know, so it's like. Is prayer just, you know, asking God for a request and he answers it? But like you said, I think that's part of the restructuring of what prayer is. And maybe that working is changing our hearts and making us listen more to God. So, and I'm just verbalizing again what I'm going through because prayer has been hard for me. But hearing your words, reading through your book, I'm like, okay, this prayer, maybe prayer just is not what we've thought or what we've been taught that it is at all. Yeah. Um, and I know when I first became aware of your book was, I think Patricia tagged me in the prayer for like letting go. Cause my daughter was leaving for college and I'm like, oh, gosh, and that is why your book is so beautiful because it's so many life phases. I mean, it's prayer prayers against, you know, racism, gun violence, but it's also the phases of life, the holidays. I mean, it's so much more prayer again mm-hmm. is so much bigger and broader than we think. I'm curious, which I'd like to talk a little bit the difference between liturgies and prayer, because for some Mm. folks, the whole liturgy concept could be new, even though it's a very old ancient practice. So do you mind talking about that a little bit? Cause your book is prayers and liturgies. Yes. So I see liturgy as being the prayers of the people. That's, that's a phrase I have heard and it's kind of like this shared experience. So prayer can be so many things, right? Like we've talked about, it can be our breath. It can be screaming into a pillow. It can be entering into um, holding a baby, going on a walk. Prayer can be so many things, but I think liturgy is this kind of entering into the prayer of another with another, it's this, this entering into, you know, scripture calls it this great cloud of witnesses, almost like this anchor point for us. And I, I hope it's a gift when you don't have the words to enter into something that is rooted and in the experiences of another, you know, we can spontaneously pray all we want, but I feel like liturgy is like a little different. It's a little bit of the prayers of another. And I see it as almost like a, a poetic outpouring. It's not just like two paragraphs, but it's more like a rhythm. Um, yeah, it's hard to describe, but I think it's, you know, if people are struggling with their faith and prayer, I so encourage this because it's been, very soul giving for me and opened me up to another level because I haven't been real familiar at all with the liturgies. And it's like, I, 
I've struggled with prayer because I don't know what to pray. Like, you know, and it's like, but you have given and given words when we don't know, like you just said, and these are rooted in, in the, in scripture. They're not just like mm. Caleb coming up with random words on it. <laughs> like it's very much your heart and soul, but it's rooted yeah. in scripture. And I think that's why they're just so, and it's for, again, I'm going to go into for, you know, if some, a pet dies, a loved one dies, like it's all the things when you're just at a loss for, I don't even know what to say here. Um, and this is going to help at least me as a mom going with my 12 year old who I don't pray regularly with anymore being like, you know what, this, this is a good, I think, starting, starting place for us to enter back into, into prayer and connecting mm. with God that way. One of the other things that I absolutely love that is also new, new to my world is the breath prayers. And they're so simple because I think also, if I'm honest about the whole prayer, because I'm also from a time when it's like, okay, you need to sit down and have an hour of prayer and quiet time with the Lord. And I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's just not happening no. ever. So it's more like out of sight of mind, just not doing any of it, but these breath sure. prayers are really incredible. So share a little bit about those and what they are for people that might not be familiar. Yeah. So that is also kind of this ancient contemplative practice that has existed way beyond, you know, us. Um, and it's simply an invitation to inhale on a breath and exhale and just let it go. And so you inhale part of a phrase and you exhale part of a phrase. And I pulled, it was important for me, you know, in my, um, kind of understanding of who God is to try to root these somewhat into scripture. So it's not just me, but it's, it's rooting into the, the very nature of God and, and that that would be a comfort. So there's a section of breath prayers. This is you pray on an inhale, you pray on an exhale. There's like a short line of, you know, encouragement. And they're very like for when your morning is crazy for when you're feeling doubt for when you're feeling anxious and you just grab them and go and find what serves you. And it's something that maybe you can hold on to as you're driving, as you're commuting to work, as you're gardening, whatever it is that you're doing. And I found it's really been beautiful to see my kids hold on to certain ones. Um, because oftentimes I'm like, okay, you need to take a breath. Like that's a practice that we have, you know, it's just yeah. reorienting ourselves, putting our feet on the ground, putting our palms up, breathing, breathing, and then maybe inviting God into that too. Yeah. And same, I mean, my, I have a daughter that has anxiety issues and it's like, I'm always telling her like, okay, deep breath in and out. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you know, a couple of weeks ago, going to a retreat where it was very much focused on breath and meditation. Mm -hmm. And it's like this, I just, I can't love this enough incorporating scripture with that. And again, we go back to our definition of works. It's not, you're doing this for a quick answer to God, just give me a parking spot or God, <laughs> whatever. Give me, yeah. It is calming yourself. And that's, yes. that's the works, calming your soul, relaxing breath is life, giving yourself some reentering life for the moment um, and centering mm. yourself. So I absolutely love these. I absolutely love your book, Kayla. So thank you thank for you. it. And it took you, was it two years you said to write this book? 
I think it was like from start to finish from manuscript to, you know, it's such a tactile experience to hold the book and the team did such a good job with the design and even just like the feel of the cover and how it's like big and the pages lay flat. Like all of that took so much intentionality on their part. And so I'm just like, thank you. (laughs) It's beautiful. I'm seriously like, how did she do this? She has four children. How did she write this whole thing? So I really do think it it takes a village just like it does with (laughs) parenting. It takes a village to publish a book forever. And I don't say this lightly, but I feel like it is a God breathe book for sure. For, for the words that are on these pages. I really, I really do. So thank you. And uh, another thing I saw that I'm going to read, um, cause I think it's powerful when we talk about prayer and what it does, you say, we are, we pray when we pray, we are transformed. We pray for the inner child in our souls, the one who aches to return home. And I just, there, there's just so many powerful words that spoke to me in it, Kayla. And I was, oh. I want to ask you, and I didn't give you a heads up on this so we can edit this little bit out. Cause I was going to ask you to read a prayer. Oh, are you yes. good with that? Do you Absolutely. have a book? Absolutely. Okay. I do. And the one that I want to ask you to read is because again, we're on the heels of another school shooting and this world is heavy and so hard. And even though it wasn't our children at that school, I think another point of your book is we need to see all children as our own children yeah, and have that compassion. So page 84, you have a prayer for gun violence in school. Would you mm. feel okay reading that? Absolutely. I would, I would okay. be humbled too. Thank you. Okay. So this is a prayer for gun violence in school from the prayers for a weary world and to light their way. Oh God of protection and peace, we come to you weary, heartbroken and afraid. How do we explain to our child what it means to practice an active shooter drill at school when we don't have the words? when we ourselves barely understand. How has it gotten this dangerous to be a child in a desk, in a classroom? We grieve for innocence lost by way of violence. Lord, hear our prayer. We ache for teachers who must prepare for the unthinkable. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for every mother and father who is forever changed by the unimaginable, the death of a child at the hands of gun violence. We rub our eyes and will our minds to stop the imagery, for it is too much to hold, and yet some must hold it. O Lord, who said, let the little children come to me. We have sent our teachers to first aid seminars and have cried out to you to stop the bleeding. Give us imagination to see a world without violence. Give us a kingdom imagination to create a better future for our children and their children. We are scared, Lord. We wonder how you can allow mass shootings of children to happen. When we walk our children to their classrooms, we lament that we quietly assess how close their tiny cubbies are to the front door. We know this is not your way, O Lord. 
Help us beat our swords into plowshares. Help us put down our swords collectively and individually. Speak peace into our children's hearts as their little little minds try to comprehend the possibilities of what they're practicing for. Our job as parents is to keep our children safe. How do we do so? Give us eyes to see. Give us new vocabularies and courageous hearts to champion our children. Lord, heal our collective wounds. Lord, heal our individual hearts that crack into pieces every time our kids step onto the school bus. Lord, may we see into your upside down kingdom. Give us courage and boldness to plead the case of our children. Deliver us from the evil one and may our action for a more peaceable world for our children be a prayer of its own. Lord, hear our prayer. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Kayla. Um, Yeah. We definitely could just end on that note, but before, before we go, can you just share where you can be found your podcast, all the things that listeners can connect with you, the places to go? Yeah. Um, so you can connect with me at kaylacraig.com. Um, kaylacraig.com slash book is where you can find all about To Light Their Way, a collection of prayers and liturgies for parents. It's available at every online book retailer. And I share breath prayers and liturgies over at Liturgies for Parents on Instagram and share my own kind of personal glimpses into the world at Kayla underscore Craig. And as we mentioned before, I also get to be the host of a collaborative podcast with three incredible women, Lindsay, Elisa, and our good friend, both of our good friend, Patricia. And um, you can find us all at Upside Down Podcast and that's it. Okay. We, and we will put links to all of that in the show notes and links to where to find your book. And as we mentioned earlier, your book is selling out. So If people want this for gifts, which is a perfect gift idea for the holidays Mm. coming up, but they definitely need to order in advance because supply shortages are, are a real thing. So they are. Yeah. Kayla, it has been a joy to talk to you today. I just thank you so much for taking this time. I know it's been a busy week promoting your book. So thank you for talking with me today. Thank you for having me. It's been a gift. 